morning's responsive reading is taken from the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings in chapter number 11. We'd like to read responsively the first 10 verses of the chapter. Allow me to read the odd-numbered verses beginning with verse 1. Would you please read with me beginning in verse number 2, the succeeding even-numbered verses through verse 10. Once again, that's 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, reading responsibly. And as our custom and tradition is in respect to the reading of the Word of God, I want to invite you to stand if you're able to once again. <clears throat> First Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, and reading responsively. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was burned or turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. And now, Heavenly Father, Lord, take these words found in your Holy Scripture that are recorded for all eternity to speak to our hearts in regard to families. Lord, I pray a prayer of blessing on each and every family that's represented in this room. And Lord, we all are part of a family. Thank you most of all for the family of God this morning. Lord, I pray that you do a work of grace so in individual hearts and lives of individual family members here this morning, we'll thank you for what you're going to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A generic thank you to everyone that had something to do with the service. Amen. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. There you go. That's an individual thank you there. First Kings chapter 11. Let's get right to it this morning. Our seventh message on me and my real, or my, my not perfect family, but me and my real family. We won't take time to review, but just last week we preached a message entitled Rule Book Parents and No Heart Children. And we looked at the, the strongest weak man in the world. The man that God gave more strength to than any other man in all the world. But without God he was nothing. And of course I'm referring to none other than Samson. This morning, we want to look at the wisest fool in the world. The wisest fool in the world. And that's, of course, none other than Solomon. 
David's son, and many of you know the story, of course. He asked for wisdom. God gave him wisdom above every man that's ever walked the face of the earth. We believe that Ecclesiastes, of course, was uh, written by the human writer Solomon, uh, the, the preacher. He came to the end of his life realizing, in the humanly speaking, that vanity of vanities all is vanity. But I want you to know as we deal with this subject of families this morning that the wisest man in the world became a fool. There is no counsel nor wisdom nor understanding against the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom that Solomon got, he got from the Lord. And there's man's wisdom and there's God's wisdom. God's wisdom is perfect. Man's wisdom is beyond flawed. Man's wisdom is, is corrupt and it's, and it's um, downward and it's, it's uh, defeating and destroying. And, and I want you to know that Solomon went from the wisest man in the world to one of the greatest fools that ever lived. And it's recorded in this chapter here, chapter 11, the entire chapter actually. We only had time to read verse 10 verses. It will give a synopsis, but I would say that Solomon, if we could give a synopsis of his life, he was the wisest man in the world that became a fool. And why so? Well, the answer is found in verses 2, 3, 4, and verse 9 are four text phrases in this verse of Scripture. And it says in verse number 2, the latter part of the verse the Bible says, for surely they, speaking about Solomon's strange wives and 700 of them and 300 concubines, they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Verse number three, the Bible says at the end of the verse, and his, his wives turned away his heart. Seven times you find the word heart in these 10 verses and four verses. Again, verse number four, the Bible says in the middle part of the verse that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And then in verse number nine, of course, the Bible reads, and likewise did he for all his strange wives, or pardon me, verse nine, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel. And I want you to notice that why did Solomon became a, became a fool? The wisest man in the world, he became a fool because he followed his own heart. Many people will say, follow your heart. Uh, do what your heart says. But the Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And I want you to know that the choice that Solomon made, when you think about it, little choices have effects for many, many years to come, third and fourth generation many times. And in some cases, in this case for sure, this choice that Solomon made had ramifications that have lasted for 3,000 years. There's one despicable murderer that we're all talking about from yesterday's events, of course, in that synagogue in, in, in Pittsburgh. 11 people were needlessly killed. Uh, I understand that it was a soft target. They didn't believe in, they, they believe in the goodness of man, their fellow man, and so they, they believe that guns could be necessarily evil, and so nobody had a gun. If somebody might have had a gun, they might have been able to stop that before so many people were butchered and murdered. But it's all a byproduct. You say, preacher, can you tie that into Solomon? Yes, I can. Because Solomon, you read the rest of this chapter and the rending of the kingdom, the division of the kingdom, and eventually the demise, the captivity of the ten lost tribes, as they're called, and the, the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. They're all going to be wiped out because of Solomon's decisions that he made with his family. And I want to preach a message this morning in just the minutes that we have this morning. All families are not equal. Don't buy that lie. I want to look at just two chapters of Scripture. Chapter 2 of Genesis. Let's go there. Your, 
Your worksheet says chapter 1. There's the first and only mistake, I think, on the bulletin. But Genesis chapter 2. Notice with me, please, God's wisdom. I want to talk about in the minutes that we have this morning. God's mind for the family. God's wisdom or God's formula for a family versus man's formula. The Bible says there is a way that seems right into a man, but then there are the ways of death. God has a prescription for the family. And he has a formula for the family. We find it first here in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 18. Notice what it says with me. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me, make, uh, make him and help me for him. Verse 21, for time's sake. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the, the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a womb man uh, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Woman came from man. Now man comes from woman. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Notice this morning, to begin with, God's design, God's wisdom for, for uh, the family. First of all, consider the design for a moment. Verse 18 and verse 20 both allude to the fact that God said it was not good that man be alone. And so he made him a helpmeet. Again, in verse number 20, we see that word helpmeet. God's design for a marriage is one man... With one woman, who would ever think that we'd ever get to a day in our, in our world where that would be confusing? Where the marriage would be between one man and one woman. That's God's design. But consider with me for just a moment God's duty in regards, his, in regards to this wisdom of, of the family. God's duty or covenant. Verse number 24 says this, and for three other verses it says almost the same. Therefore shall a man... Leave his father and mother and shall, notice the man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. There's a duty of marriage where a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves unto his wife, a leave and cleave principle we call it. And they shall be one flesh, married, integrated together, not two coming together, but one flesh, bone of bone, flesh of flesh. This union, this covenant relationship. Marriage is the greatest earthly picture. Human marriage is the greatest earthly picture of the relationship that takes place with Jesus Christ as the bridegroom. Revelation speaks about Jesus being the bridegroom in Ephesians 5 as well. With his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Every born again believer. We're married unto him. We're inseparable. We learned that in Sunday school class today. We're, we, we cannot be ripped from his Clutches, we're, 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 we're ordained, we're elect of him, we're, we're, we're chosen of him, and uh, we're, we're his children. And there's their covenant relationship, and it's a, the marriage ceremony is the most sacred of all covenants. Notice with me thirdly, letter C for time's sake, God's wisdom for the family. There's a design, one man for one with one woman. There's the duty, the covenant, it's the leave and cleave principle, but number letter C, consider the destiny for a moment. Say, what do you mean by that, preacher? 
In Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Wherefore, quoting from Genesis chapter 2, Wherefore, let the, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, and let not man put asunder. Notice that marriage is of God. Marriage is not twain, only in God's math is one plus one equal one. No longer two entities, but come together in one union. There's a destiny. This is God's organization for, his, for marriage. I want you to consider with me for a moment here uh, the sanctity. You see, this destiny gives sanctity. It's sancti- it's, there's a sanctification by God Almighty. This is a sovereign, holy commitment, this thing of covenant of this, the marriage vows. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, when the disciples were trying to trick the Lord Jesus, of course, and they tried that many times, not the disciples, excuse me, the Sadducees, they tried many times to do that. So they tempted him, the Bible says, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And of course, Moses gave a bill of divorcement, many of you know that. But the Lord said, from the beginning it was not so. He said, have you not read, and I'm quoting from you, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, have you not read that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. For the third time we've heard these verses now in different places of scripture. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. Wherefore what God hath joined together, let man put asunder. For many years I've married a lot of people over the years and I've uh, always said at the end of my, the, the presentation time of the husband and wife as the new couple, I've said, now, by the power invested in me, as before the God of heaven and before the angels of heaven and before this great crowd of witnesses and before these friends and families, by the power invested in me as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power invested in me as a minister of the gospel, state, of the, state of Connecticut, I no longer plan on saying that as Minister of State of Connecticut because we, our federal government and our state government has changed the rules of what marriage is. I no longer recognize state or federal marriage as being sanctioned of God because they've, 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 they've polluted it, they've per- perverted it. As I'm getting ahead of myself. And our, our hierarchy, our authority comes from a higher authority than the state of, or from Hartford or from Washington, D.C. It comes from God. And so we have this this sanctity, I don't need man's sanction, we have God's sanction, marriage. God's the one that ordained it, not government. And so he doesn't change the rules. God gives sanctity, this destiny. This, uh, secondly, God's marriage, or the mind of God in regards to wisdom for the, uh, a family, a nuclear family, this, this wisdom of God gives stability. He gives strength. The Bible says in Ephesians or Ecclesiastes 4 9 that two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. For they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto one that, that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. My mother called me, uh, she calls me every Saturday morning, almost every Saturday, Sunday morning, excuse me. Called this morning as usual. But she called last night about 5 p.m. And Dad, and I've been tattling on Dad for a long time now, a couple of years now, but Dad's, you know, his health is, he had his kidney removed uh, about three months ago now, and he's, he's slowly failing, slowly spending more time in bed, and slowly getting weaker, and so forth. And, and uh, 
Mom called at 5 p.m. last night or 6 p.m. I was in my office studying and then, then uh, she called this morning. She said, oh, I won't call you this morning, but she did. She, she called and she said, uh, Marty, I want you to know that the pastor, Pastor Jones from Lighthouse Baptist Church stopped in last night to see uh, my mom and dad. He must have got a heads up and knew my dad was failing. And, and, uh, but here's the punchline of the story here. I really think in, in uh, talking to my mother that my father wouldn't even be alive today if it wasn't for my mother, humanly speaking. My mother's been a helpmeet and been a helper, and there have been times he's, he's fallen many times, and he's had, fortunately, a helpmeet to help him up when he's fallen, and he's now reduced to that walker and, and so forth, and soon a wheelchair probably. And, but marriage, God's plan for marriage gives stability, gives strength, not just physical strength, but every other type of strength as well, material, emotional strength, spiritual strength. And so, in fact, back in Genesis chapter 2, if you're still there, in verse 18 and verse 20, ladies, you like that. The Lord said it's not good that man be alone, so I'll give him a help meet. That word help meet, again, in verse number 20, we see that word, that phrase help meet. Uh, that word help there, here's the definition of it. Someone who enables a person otherwise incapable. <laughs> I say, I don't like that. Men don't like that right now. <laughs> Well, Jesus, God is our help. Psalm 70, verse 5. Oh God, thou art my help and my deliverer. He's all our help. And I'm not suggesting that uh, a woman is all the help to the man, but she's a great, she comes, comes alongside. She's a comforter, a parakletos, a, to use the, the Greek word. She's a, she's a helper. And man is to be a helper to her. Number three, just quickly. Uh, in God's mar- marriage or destiny, God's formula for the family. He gives his formula gives security. Psalm 31 or Proverbs 31 verse 11 says this: The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he hath no need to no that he shall have no need of spoils. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. A husband can trust his wife, his godly wife, and vice versa. A godly wife can or a wife can trust her godly husband. There's security there, and there's safety. There's a safety net, and there's there's um, protection. But then number four, it gives this destiny gives satisfaction. And just uh, by the way, I forgot to mention the outset of my message. Very important. I say this at a certain point here. Um, I just want you to know that I'm never out as a pastor. I've I, I got a lot of faults, but this is not one of them. I've never been out to hurt people. I've never been out to make people feel terrible or miserable or feel defeated. If a message goes by and you walk away feeling defeated and discouraged, I feel like I failed in my, my duty because there's hope with a blessed, with a wonderful God in heaven. In fact, if you look at, uh, I got to read it myself here. I put in the word from the pastor. Uh, what did I put in the word from the pastor as soon as I can read it here? A word of encouragement for not so perfect families. This is from Pastor Adrian Rogers. The same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still in the miracle working business, and his business is the business of transformation. If I didn't think that God could help, if there was no help to be found of God, uh, I, would be, I would get out of this business of being a pastor. Because God, the shepherd, is to help the sheep. And God is the good, and Lord Jesus is the good shepherd, and there's hope in him. So I want you to know, back to this point number four, you say, Preacher, how'd you get off of that? I just, I just thought of it because uh, marriage, God's way, gives satisfaction. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. 
Now here's, the, here's what I want you to know, though, just for the record. Not everyone is meant to be married. I'm talking to a number of adults in this room that you, you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s, 70s, whatever, how old you are, and maybe you've never been married. Maybe your spouse is gone. I don't know. Uh, but but not all are meant to be married. But those that are meant to marry, God, God has this marriage relationship for the procreation, the advancement of the civilization. And for, it's a picture, again, of earthly and the earthly or the heavenly family of God. So this destiny gives satisfaction. Then number five, it gives superiority. You see, God's family is superior to any other type of family. Now, you may not like that, but it's true. God's formula for the family, you can't improve on God's formula. Second Timothy, Second Samuel 22 says this, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler in all them that trust in him. You cannot improve on God's design. Someone has said, William Gardner said this, the family is the finest humanitarian organization we know of because it alone responds to the needs of its members on a voluntary, unpaid basis throughout government or throughout life. By the way, not government. Government is the savior. Many people feel that government is their savior. I've never felt that government is my savior. Government is my problem. In government, uh, God is my savior. These contributions are a distinct form of social reproduction too long ignored. You see, there's the superiority of a God-ordained family. I heard on the radio this week, and so I Googled it uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday. There's 63 genders now. Scientists found this out. 63. And then so I, but I Googled it, and you Google it, you say, how many genders are you? Google that. And then I saw another website that says science is more advanced because another, another website says, no, we're up, to, we're up to 67 genders. We got different chromosomes and different Y and X's. And see, here's, here's the deal. For several thousand years, science has been wrong. And we were just, we're just you know, you're probably just not smart enough and educated enough to understand that there's just a, there's, you know, two genders. That's like archaic. That's old science. That's myth now. We now know that there's 67 genders. So science has told us that. And it's growing, by the way, because science is getting more smarter. Pardon my language. And we have people that put down their, their cars a bumper sticker, love makes a family. And we're de- redefining what a family is and saying all families are equal. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. Let me be blunt with you. All cultures are not equal. This is a Christian church, and let me just say it as this. Christian culture is superior to Muslim culture. Amen. It is. You say whatever. It's superior to, to satanic culture. It is. It's superior to atheism and an atheistic culture. It is. Not all cultures are not equal. All countries are not equal. By the way, did you hear about the caravan of 14,000 Americans that broke through the, southern, the northern gates of Mexico and are heading for their intent to get into Honduras for a better life? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully those Hondurans will have a heart and take them in. You see, the idea that all countries are equal, that's, not, that's a lie. That's not true. All cultures are equal. That's not true. All families are not equal. God has a method of a family. And then Solomon came along and he said, I'm going to redefine that method. That brings me to our text now in the moments that we have. Look at back to 1, Corinthians, or 1 Kings chapter 11. You see, God has a formula for the family. And you can't improve on God's formula. One man with one woman for a lifetime. 
a covenant relationship, a duty, a destiny filled with security, satisfaction, superiority, stability, sanctity. You can't improve upon God's formula. But Solomon, the wisest man in the whole world, he said, you know what? God's way was good. He used to have God's heart, but he turned his heart away from God's heart. And he followed after the heart of his wives, if you look at it. He says, I'm going to do it my way. Who, who, who's that guy again? I always want to say Perry Como. It's not Perry. Who? I did it my way. Frank Sinatra, thank you. I got to, you know, he said, I was going to do it my way. I shouldn't be silly about something so serious. Notice several things real quickly here. Man's wisdom for the family involves deviation. A variant. Kind of like those chromosomes. A variant. No longer can we tell. I've told the story many times, but it's kind of, I remember my little cousin asked my grandmother uh, one day, Grandma, when mommy's and mommy's day have a baby, how do you know whether it's a boy or a girl? And my grandmother wisely said, well, the doctor will tell you whether it's a boy or a girl. But there's a distinct way that we can tell the difference between boys and girls. You might have noticed that. But there are those that want to deviate from that. And Solomon, after God said to him, in fact, he disobeyed the law, the Mosaic law, that he knew that kings should not multiply wives unto himself. But his daddy did it. David did it. And his forefathers before that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all did it. And so Solomon just rationalized and he says, well, if they did it, I guess I can do it. Hey, your decisions affect other people. When you say, I can do it because so-and-so did it, that becomes your new standard, your new authority. But this deviation, verse number one, we won't read it, but just glance at it. Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughters of Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh, and women from the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, all these pagan nations all around them. This deviation, this man's wisdom for a family led to perversion and proliferation. Hey, I just mark my words here. If Lord Terryson is coming, it's, it's, it's already here in America. It's kind of like marijuana. Polygamy is kind of like marijuana. and Everybody's just kind of looking the other way now. We outlawed polygamy in our country. I know we have some Mormon people. I understand that in our country. But it's turning into a scoff law. Since we've decided, redefined what marriage is, anything goes. Why can't a man have five wives? If we redefine, if we have man's laws. And that day, it's already, it's already, they're already turning their blind eye and looking the other way. It used to be bigamy. Used to be polygyny, used to be polygamy, but all that is all okay now because we've redefined God's. We've we've set aside, and we have churches that tell us by with uh, lesbians in the pulpit, God is still speaking because no longer do they believe God's word; they believe that God is deviating now. And so, man's wisdom for the family is deviant. Man's wisdom for the family includes diversity. Boy, we're told the diversity is good. Now, the Bible says having gifts differing, and thank God for different gifts in the body and different functions of our body parts that we have in our own human body, for that matter. But we're all one. But I want you to notice verse 2. The Bible says, Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. 
for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Hey, let me give you a New Testament application, a modern day application. Christians should marry Christians. End of story. By the way, good Christians should marry good Christians. Bad Christians should marry bad Christians if there is such a thing. Just being honest with you. By the way, if you're a good Christian and you marry a bad Christian, chances are you're going to become a bad Christian too. We never hardly ever pull up. We almost always drag down in law of gravity. But the diversity, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath darkness, light with darkness? And what concord or agreement hath Christ with Belial? Or what part is he that believeth with an infidel? The Bible says, Wherefore come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. Christians ought to marry Christians again. This diversity, you marry somebody from another religion, they'll turn your heart, your children's heart away, and eventually your heart away from the things of God. That's exactly what happened to the wisest man in the world, and it happened to Solomon himself. If anybody should have known better, it should have been Solomon. But thirdly, verses 7 and 8, and just glance at it for time's sake. I wanted to spend another time, another whole message on this. But then Solomon built in high place, it says, to Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and later on to Molech of the Ammonites. And uh, he, likewise did he for all his strange wives, verse 8, which burn incense and sacrifice unto their gods. Here's how they sacrificed to their gods. They gave their babies on altars. They aborted their babies. They burned their babies. Now, ladies, by the way, those that have a right to choose, I want you to know they chose, most of the time, they chose to their, their female babies. Just a fact of history. Female babies were far more offered on the altar of sacrifice than male babies because male babies are more important than female babies. You know that, right? By the diversity crowd. That they believe that. And, they, and there's destruction you see, then for the third time, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but then there are over the ways of death. Man's wisdom for the family is take it or leave it. You don't like it. if a child's not a convenient choice, just get rid of it. Uh, there's deviation in man's wisdom in regards to the family. There's diversity. There's pollution, perversion. There's destruction. Then number letter, letter D, there's the Bible says that Solomon had 1,700 wives and 300 concubines. Let me be blunt. You find that phrase, putting away or putteth away, some 27 times or so, 22 times specifically, I believe it is. I did some research on that reference of being put away. Malachi says, God hateth putting away. God hates the D word, divorce. Luke 16, 18, Whosoever putteth away his wife, Jesus said, and marrieth another, committeth adultery. Whosoever marrieth her that is put away, from her husband committeth adultery. Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, lengthy passage of scripture that God says, and I'm paraphrasing, that don't deal treacherously with the wife of your youth, the wife of your co- of the covenant, of thy covenant. Wherefore, God, that you might seek a godly seed, the Lord says. Therefore, take heed to yourself and none deal treacherously with the wife of, the, the wife of his youth, for the Lord, the God of Israel, hateth putting away. Divorce is never God's plan. I want to give you ten reasons. I'll do this quickly. This is from a secular website. I just t- t- 
typed in uh, reasons not to get divorced, and this came up with the first on the list. This is from what I gather, I think, probably a, a non-Christian lady that put this together, a lady that's been divorced and remarried. But here's what she said, in re- 10 reasons why not to get divorced. Number one, the kids. She had long dissertation. In fact, she's written a book on this. Kids don't bounce, they break. They more often break. Every study that's ever been done, every study after study after study says that kids from divorced homes have a higher drinking, uh, drug abuse problem, a higher alcohol problem, a higher suicide rate, lower test scores, and on and on we could go. Less security and uh, uh, lower positions in life, uh, uh, make less money. All that is the home of divorce. I'm not trying to hurt anybody here. I'm just saying what we know of to be statistical truths. Regards to, and I know I'm talking to many people that have been through, uh, that have uh, grew up with separated parents or divorced parents, and so, so that you've suffered yourself. But she said, number one, to get divorced, not to get divorced as kids. Number two, custody. She went on to say, two homes instead of one means half the time at each, of course. Conflicting authorities, loyal, loyalties. Uh, pitting one spouse or one one uh, parent against another parent or one uh, in-law against another in-law. Number three, emotional devastation, sadness, brokenness, uh, uh, depression, all the rest that goes along with a failed marriage. Number four, loss of confidence, frustration, afraid to make... Other commitments when you broke a great commitment. Loss of confidence, loss of uh, self-confidence even. Loss of identity, number five. Loss of roles, loss of purpose, loss of structure. Loss of maybe your name, loss of, uh, of who you are and the reason for your existence. Number six, loss of family. She brought in also, we make fun sometimes and we always like to tease a little bit about the in-laws, but my... Boy, my mother and father-in-law that had been in heaven for 15 and 20 years now, or 10 years, I guess, eight years, I guess, and 20 years or something like that, they were like a mom and dad to me. They were, they were so precious. I was married into that family. And I couldn't imagine having my early life without them as well as my wife. Loss of family. Number seven, loss of Friends. This is hard, and again, let me just preface, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but when every time a divorce happens, other people are forced to make decisions. Either I'm going to go with a wife or the woman, or I'm going to go with a man, or I'm going to try to stay neutral. The problem with staying neutral is like the Civil War soldier that has the Confederate jersey on and a Union pair of pants on. You're not liked by either side. And you force your friends to make decisions. And by default, there's loss. Number eight, finances. Hundreds, to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars in many modern-day American cases. Number nine, and another message could be preached on all this, but it's too depressing to go too much further. Reason number nine, nine, not to get divorced, is second marriages. Then two things about these second marriages. They're, you're less innocent, and it's complicated. And there's a lot of damage, and most, most people know that second marriages have a greater failure rate than even first marriages, third marriages, and so forth. Number 10, and she put this as number 10, this lady that I, from what I read, I don't think she was a Christian or is a Christian, 
She put it at number 10. I think I'll put it at number one. You promised. You gave a vow. If you can break the most holy vow you've ever given to anybody, do you promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for in sickness and health and poverty and wealth and forsaking all others, keep the only unto her or him so long as you both shall live? Before God and man, do you so promise? I do. If you're able to break that bond, that promise, you're able to break any other promise that ever comes along throughout your life. Solomon loved the Lord with all his heart. And one day his wife said, but love me. And he said, you know, I think I can love you too. And he went after their gods. And, and he, there was a divorce that took place. And, he, and his kingdom is taken from him. As a matter of fact, let us see letter E very quickly here. Notice with me, please. Man's wisdom for the family brings division. For generations to come, we stopped at verse 10, but just glanced at verse 11. It's really verse 11 and the rest of the entire chapter. And hey, no exaggeration. The rest of the next 3,000 years of history. This is historical truth. Solomon made a decision to do family the way he wanted to do it. And it led to the division of the kingdom. It led to the fall of empire or the empire of Israel. It led to 19 kings on one side and 19 kings on the other side, and most of them were polygamists. And it led to the fall of the northern kingdom, the 10 lost tribes we call them, and then the fall of the southern kingdom. And then for 2,500 years where the nation would be divided... And it brings us up, and I don't think it's an exaggeration at all, it brings us up to yesterday's events. What if that church would have been a hard target yesterday, or that synagogue would have been a hard target? A gun-carrying synagogue. I think that coward would have thought twice about walking in that place. This is not a soft target, Harvest Baptist Church, for the record. I'm thankful for that. They'll get a few, but they won't get two, they won't get two more than a few. Because... There's principle involved here. Then, then one, letter A, B, C, D. I'm over time here. So God's remedy for your family. This is the whole punchline of the message. This is, this, is the, this is the bomb of Gilead here. Let me give you the four R words. God's remedy for your family. First of all, repent. Repent and turn yourselves from your, all your transgressions so your iniquity shall not be your ruin. Ezekiel 18.30 Repent and agree with God again that God's way is right. Repent, then return. God will give you a new heart if you return and give you a heart to know him. Jeremiah 24 and 7. And I will be, you shall be my people and I will be your God. When you return unto me with your whole heart, then renew. Repent, return, renew. I think there's a progression here. The psalmist said, David, Solomon's daddy, said, creating me a clean heart, oh God. This is after he committed his great sin of adultery, and after he committed murder and even mass murder in the covering up of his sin. You know the story. And David said, and renew a right spirit within me, Psalm 51.10. So repent, return, renew. But I wanted to, this is a, the so-called punchline of the message. My computer has been acting up lately. My computer is several years old. I probably need to get a new one here soon. And it's on the blinks and so forth. And every once in a while I have to hit that refresh button. You need to have a daily refresh. If I ended this message on point two, we'd all be a miserable lot because every one of us have families that are broken, 
families blended, families that have been affected by divorce, families that have not done things God's way but our own way. And if that was our lot, oh boy, what a depression we would be in. But the Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3, for it is the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new, how often, do you know it? Every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Every day, press the reset button. Every day, get in the word of God. You say, preacher, you came in this morning, maybe you say, my family is a mess. Well, if you analyze real deeply, I think all of us could say, yeah, I know about that. But there's hope with a gracious God. Renew, repent, or repent rather, return, renew, and hit the refresh button. Lord, help us again. Lord, help me, afresh and anew, to walk with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, you know my prayer in my heart, dear God. My, my, when I start thinking about it in detail, Lord, I, my heart can start to sink when I think of all the problems within our church body with the families that we have. Lord, it's true we have kids in jail today. We have kids that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. We have kids that, Lord, have no time for you. We have spouses and parents and siblings and aunts and uncles that, Lord, uh, have no desire to walk with you. And, Lord, our families have been dissected and diversified in the world's uh, way of thinking and there's full of division and distrust and hurt. Lord, our only hope is found in you, and we thank you that you're all our hope. You're all the, you're you're our all in all, and we, Lord, we come to you this morning. We pray that you do a work of grace in our hearts, dear God. May reconciliation begin with us, dear God. May we be the the husband that we need to be, the wife that we need to be, or Lord, the the, the sibling or the brother or sister that we need to be, or the the parent or grandparent we need to be, and we'll thank you for it, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you bless in our moments of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we stand, let's sing page number 100.